your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me here in studio is my good buddy Thomas Drans. Tom, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. I am excited for today. This is one of my favorite shows of the year. I literally bent my schedule to make sure we could do it. We're doing my guys. We're doing we're doing my guys. We're doing your guys. We're doing our guys. <laughs> so we each have a list, a handful of players at least. We have more. We're probably not going to be able to get to all of them today. Uh, players we love, I think they need to be – we can do some kind of like honorable mentions and really obscure names more towards the end. But let's try to like – Oh, I've l- done only obscure Let's names. try to cater this though around like players who are going to have some relevancy to the season since the season is starting today as we're recording. So, and so it feels like – you know. So you the- want me to scratch my KHL guys? <laughs> well, we can we can we can give them some shout outs at the end. We'll save that for our KHL Our Guys episode uh, later on in the show. We're going to try to walk a nice line, though, between obviously the show needs to give you a little bit of that obscure event, right? It's got to have some guys that are total hipster picks like I, I, we're not going to do like Jack Hughes here today, obviously. No, no, no. Um, I, but, I, I, I scratched guys like Will Borgen and Daniel Sprong because I did them last year. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, you could argue Troy Terry's already transcended this category, but. I still, I think, love him more than most people, but yeah. I've done it like five straight seasons. I think people get it now. He's, <laughs> he's my guy, no matter what, even if yep. I don't talk about him today. I did learn, we were talking before we went on the air, though, in compiling this list, it was really, you learn a lot about yourself mm, and your tendencies, yeah. right? You really learn that you've got a type because my first five names on my list are all like roughly the same player, especially in terms of the way they play. And that's just, I guess, the player that I like. And we're going to talk more about that as we get into this. I'll give you the floor here, though. Start us off with your list. You're the guest. Who's your first guy? So for as obscure as some names will get, they're not all obscure. And one guy I just want to start with because he's my favorite player to watch. He's going to be an engine on a supporting line for one of the best teams in hockey. He is pound for pound the single best puck battle winner in the league. It's Andres Plot. And he got hurt a little bit. In his first season in New Jersey, which I think hid just how good he is just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But man, this guy, just everything you could ever want from a hockey player in terms of maintaining possession, in terms of the creativity uh, he's got. He pops in both ends of the ice and through the neutral zone. He's he's the perfect winger. Like for me, he's everything I like about hockey, basically rolled into one. He had to be my number one, my guy this year. Andres Palat, going to well, have a big and, year. And has obviously been in phenomenal situations throughout his career, right? B- basically being on that entire Tampa Bay Lightning yeah, run and the then going line. to New Jersey as they blow up last year. So I'm not going to act here like, oh, he's a winner and th- his teams are winning because of him. But certainly, I think everything you read and hear, right? Everyone that's been around him speaks glowingly about him. You watch him play, as you mentioned, and he does so much of the dirty work while also chipping in offensively. Yeah. And so he's he's kind of the perfect player, especially with his Devils team. I know there was some sticker shock when they signed him last summer, right? Because everyone thought they were going to land Johnny Gaudreau, and instead they give this kind of big contract to a player at a different stage of his career that doesn't have nearly the same flash. But, I mean, you're right. He was hurt at the start of last year, so the numbers aren't necessarily there in totality. But towards the end of the year and in the playoffs, you saw, you saw the value he brings to his team, and that's going to carry over to this year. In a game of more... Right In a game of more where it's not about scoring five goals, it's about scoring one more goal than your opponent, right? Having a guy who works hard enough all the time that 50-50 puck battles for him are, are more like 57% puck battles, that's that's a cheat code. And that's what Pilat brings to the table. It's why he's number one for me. Well, My here's guy. mine. Let's stick with the Devils. Okay, yeah, let's go. The dog, Dawson Mercer. Oh, man. 
So sick. Last year when you and I spoke on the show, I told you all about my dream that I had where I woke up in the middle of the night <laughs> screaming about how Dawson Mercer has that dog in him. And I don't, that's not by accident. You watch this guy play similar echoing just what you said about Platt, just basically, what, 10 years younger version. He turned 22 last, or he's about to turn 22 uh, in his second NHL season last year. He scored 27 goals, including 20 of them at 5-on-5. And this is the theme for me. It's motor, competitiveness, multiple efforts, right? You watch Dawson Mercer play, and he certainly got a level of skill to him. Like, if you watch his tape from the queue when he was a prospect and then even in year one in the NHL he was trying a lot of very outlandish plays with the puck and basically testing what could work because he does have that skill but then on this team now when you've got Hughes and Brat and Hishier and now Meyer he can play a bit more of a complementary role so I still think there's a lot of utility for him as a potential third line center at some point during this New Jersey Devils run but for now having the luxury of basically putting him next to say Hishier and Brat or Hishier and Meyer in a second line and being like, you are never going to get the puck against us and we're going to just win every battle around the net. That's pretty sweet. And so I just loved Austin Mercer. I just, that, that attacking mentality, like you're never going to see him go out for a shift and just kind of cruise around for 30 seconds and go off. Like everything has a purpose that he does. And I, I just find that really cool, especially for a young player. He, he's incredible. And you're right. That, that line, which is how the devils have been practicing late into the preseason. Right. Um, and that leaves Pilat. With, with Hala and, and yeah, or, or Hala and uh, right and um, Alexander Holtz perhaps mm-hmm. like helping another young player. Uh, I mean, what a loaded team! And and they're going to play warp speed hockey. It's just it's that's the fastest show on ice. It's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, Mercer's <laughs> Mercer's just overall doggedness <laughs> is so key to what they do beneath Jack Hughes. Yep. Okay, who's next on your list? All right. I'm proud of us. Look at us. We're humming. After so, the watchability rankings where we spent 50 minutes yeah. just kind of hanging around on the bottom teams, yeah, like we're, we're, we're going to get through yeah. a lot of players today. 100%. All right. This guy's going to be on both our lists. Yeah. So this is an argument. Oh, you stepped in front of me in line here. I did, yeah. yeah okay. I'm taking it. I'm right. sorry. I have to. It's Zach Benson. Yep. Buffalo Sabres, winger. Look, he may not even spend the whole year in the NHL, but for the first nine games anyway, make sure to watch. And when he does stick, make sure to keep watching because this guy – Here's what I love about Benson, and it's not too dissimilar from a lot of what I just said about Palat. This guy has one of the best, most mature, especially, but it's not even just for his age. Yeah. It's like for anybody in the league, this guy's ability to read what the opposition is doing on the breakout and disrupt it is uncanny, incredible, just completely dogged. This guy is going to be so disruptive at five foot ten and 170 pounds right away in the NHL. We saw it in the preseason, but that doesn't matter. He's going to be able to do it when it counts because this guy just tracks pucks. Yep. This guy just works. You know, there, it, when I say there's dog in Zach Benson, it's not like a 50 pound doodle like you or I have. It's a uh, you know, the whole <laughs> mine's pound. only 25. He's a mini, but <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole pound. Um, this is a kid who grew up, right, in Vancouver, playing yeah. against, like, Andrew Crystal and Connor Bedard. And if he wanted to win games... <laughs> he, had to, he had to outwork him. He had to outwork him. Yeah. And that influenced him a ton. He, he processes the game incredibly. And then, like, he's also a really good finisher. He's also incredibly skilled. And his vision for f- disrupting breakouts on the forecheck 
is matched by his passing ability. Um, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, he's a my guy, not because he's like a skilled offensive player. It's because I think this guy's going to be one of the 15 best four checkers in the league right off the hop. And that's pretty amazing. And it's super fun to watch. Can I submit him on my guy's list for being a gifted playmaker? Yeah, you, can. You, you can have yeah. him as the four checker. I'll have him as the playmaker. Little, little, like Shohei Otani. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, a little I offense, get, defense. I get Zach Benson away from the puck. You're, you're taking him on puck? Yes. Um, yeah, I thought he was pretty clearly the fifth best prospect in this past year's class and he fell to 13th um just because as you cough your coffee out there um yep. because he happens to be five can't believe it because he happens <laughs> to be five foot nine and what we've seen from him so far is he demolished the whl last year he had 98 points in 60 games in his six preseason games it is preseason but still for a young player to come in and have the four goals and seven points or whatever he had and, and essentially force the Sabres hand right I think they actually went into it I know there's a bit of an opening with a Jack Wayne injury but I think they life. went into it with being like let's see what happens because they do have other options mm-hmm. and he just played so well and showed that maturity right out of the gate that it's like yeah okay well let's give him the next nine games they're just essentially kicking the ball down the can down the road and yeah I think in nine games they're gonna be like all right let's give him another 72 games here because He's that good. And the thing that I love about him, like the playmaking is obviously going to fit in beautifully on the Sabres team. But for as fun as they were last year, they did need to tighten things up defensively a little bit. And it's remarkable to say about a five foot nine rookie forward that I think he's going to help them a lot in that regard because one of the best defenses is just keeping the puck as far away from your own side of the ice as you can. And as you mentioned, because of his forechecking ability, as we saw in the preseason, he's just going to extend so many offensive zone possessions for them and win so many battles to keep them far away from their own end of the ice, right? And that's huge. So regardless of where he plays, I think you can make an argument he's already, with Quinn out, their third best winger on this team. And so we'll see if he plays on the second line, third line, what have you. But I think they'll experiment with it. And I wouldn't be as shocked at all to see him potentially even get promoted to the top line if they decide to move tuck down and kind of split things up. You're right though. The ability when you combine the ability to drive possession with the ability to disrupt the breakout. This guy was like born in a lab and designed to defend from 150 feet away from his own team's net. And that's a super valuable skill. Yeah. <laughs> super valuable. All right. I'll give you one more guy here. Uh right. Benson was next on my list as well. I'll go to Nick Ehlers. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. This is his final year on my list. He's going to turn 28 this year. I promise I'll retire this after this year. But I still think just based on his usage last year, he qualifies for this. Because he was used less than Vlad Nemesnikov and Mason Appleton last year on this Jets team. And I know you love you some Mason Appleton. Yeah, Mason Appleton's like a classic. But let's let's be real here, right? Like, year over year, Nikolai Ehlers' usage has been perpetually criminal. There was one year, I guess two years ago, where he averaged 18 minutes a game. Otherwise, it's been like hovering around that 15-ish, 16 minutes per game range. And it's just unacceptable. Like there's no universe where even if he's banged up and not 100% that he should be their ninth most commonly used forward. Like that's just no team is good enough to justify that, but certainly not this Jets team. And we reached a nadir last year, I thought, where it was like end of March. They got shut out against the lowly Sharks on the road. And Rick Bonus after the game got asked, by the Jets reporters in attendance, why did Nick Ehlers only play like 13 minutes tonight? You can generate any offense against this horrible defensive team. And he gave some answer about how he had to have Kevin Stenland out there instead for faceoffs. And I was just like, okay, like this has gone too far. Like if you can't 
properly love this guy than set him free and let someone else love him because he's he's 28 he's got two years left on his deal like this is kind of a make or break right like you at some point you just go too far and we're not going to ever get the full Nick Ehlers experience and this year it kind of is a bit of a crossroads we probably have yeah um there's definitely a world where he goes to another team gets fed 22 minutes a night and is sort of like the second coming of Marcus Naslin where people are like wow that that late career breakout for this elite shooter driving this super exciting offensive line. It's never going to happen. Like, I, I already think it's never going to happen for him. And that is wildly upsetting because the skills are there. The ability to do it is there. It's it, There's definitely not 32 forwards more deserving of being, like, featured by an NHL team than him. There just aren't. I mean... There's certainly, and I, I get it, like, he's missed a lot of time with injury the past couple yep. of years, and, and he might just play, like, too fast for his body, almost, right? Like, he just, like, he keeps getting hurt, and it's unfortunate. Some of those are kind of fluke injuries, obviously. But at some point, like, after three or four straight years of him missing extended time, I get it. But when he's on the ice, he needs to play, because last year, he was 17th in 5-on-5 point rate. The two guys above him, Mitch Marner and Rupe Hintz, the two guys below him, Austin Matthews and Carter Berhage. Like... He is an elite scoring forward. I the we can talk about the power play usage as well. He just can't crack the top unit. At least like they do have good personnel up there. But his ability to carry the puck seamlessly through all three zones and dominate in transition as a puck carrier, like he just needs to play more than he does. He he does. Um, now, not far be it from me to defend Rick Bonus, but I did strongly consider Kevin Stenlin. <laughs> all right, Tom. That's that's upsetting. Florida <laughs> is a good landing spot. No, no, no. I actually I, I do like Kevin Stanley, but he should not be playing at any point over Nick Ehlers. Yes, agree. Um, yeah, I, you look at it over the past four years. His his five one five goal shares never dropped before, below fifty six percent, and that's also something that you can't like as much as you can love some of the other Jets forwards they'd had there over the past couple of years. That's not something you can say about them, right? Like look at Kyle Connor's five one five goal share over those years by comparison. And it's like, when Nick Keeler's on the ice, the Jets are the best version of themselves. And unfortunately, that has not happened enough over the past couple of years. Tom, let's do a couple more before we go to break here. Who's next on your list? Niels Hoaglander. Ah, some home cooking. Yeah, I got to go to, I gotta go with a Vancouver player. I'm going to go with Niels Hoaglander. You know, there's this sense in this market now because Hoaglander didn't come in and like light up the preseason. And because Bruce Boudreau didn't have time for him, that there's nothing there. But this is a guy who had 37 points in his first 81 games until the Canucks changed coaches to begin his NHL career. That that was accomplished at the ages of 20, uh, at the age of 20. Yep. Um, you know, usually when a player comes in and has that level of success, they're pretty good. And just watch him play. Like, he's got all the attributes of so many of the guys on this list. A little bit undersized, but wins an outrageous mess of battles. Good speed. Maybe, like, I don't know that he's a high-end offensive guy, but I think he can be like a more offensive Calais Yarncroc with, mm. with less defensive awareness. Right. Which is still a really good player. I'm not sure if he's going to get that opportunity in Vancouver. Like, it, it feels like if he doesn't impress Tockett pretty fast, then he'll have not worked out under two coaches, and maybe it's time to see what he can do in, 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 in with a fresh start. But here's my guess, man. I think he's going to get into the lineup at some point. The Canucks are going to have the likes of Sam Lafferty – Dakota Joshua, um, you know, potentially Neil Zaman, <laughs> Jack Stadnika as the season goes along playing over this guy. 
and he's going to get in the lineup, and it's going to be a light bulb on moment for Tockett and for anyone who's watching this team where it's like, oh, right. Oh, right. Why are we not playing this guy who's materially better than a variety of the other, you know, replacement level or just above wingers in this lineup? Um, Tockett wants to play north-south. He wants to play fast. Right. Hoaglander's play style matches that. He's going to make an impact for the Canucks this year. And if he doesn't, he's going to make a big impact elsewhere. This this is a like legitimate middle six guy who for some reason has fallen down the pecking order and people in this market are talking about like he's not a guy at all. And he's not just a guy, he might be a dude. And for a team that's thought of to be, you know, really talented in the skater front and 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 certainly like I think, you know, we spoke highly of their power play on the watchability rankings. Sure. I think that's got significant upside. They, there's still a lot of room to grow five on five, right? Like, yeah. I, I, it's not like one of those things like, oh, no, we have enough here. No, they were 20th in goals scored at five on five last year. And yeah. They barely played defense. Yeah. Like, they played run and gun hockey and they were always chasing. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact is, is that this team needs, this team needs more middle six contributors who can, you know, move play and, and put up some offense. And I, again, I don't think Hoaglander's offense is going to be his calling card i think it's going to be his transitional ability and his battle winning ability i think he can complement skilled guys though and and i just think there's a lot of places in this canucks lineup where he's materially better than what they're going to be rolling out and that'll show when he gets a shot mm. let me give you one guy who fits the bill in a sense because from a prototype perspective he certainly checks the boxes maybe he doesn't qualify anymore because i think if you sign a 52 million dollar deal maybe you're not underqualified anymore you're not you're you're not um under the radar this is the philosopher well brandon hagel yeah is his nickname the philosopher no there's there's (laughs) like a famous metaphysicist named hagel (laughs) generally people make like bagel jokes around him but i I like that you took it that route i'm like wait is his name the nickname the philosopher that's what he's known on the tampa beat i went epistemological on you yeah oh that's good stuff um yeah, it's remarkable that he's still technically playing on a $1.5 million His deal. This should year. be the philosopher. I think let's make it happen. And now, from now on, if you hear or see that reference on any social media platforms, yeah. you'll know that it's come from this. So <laughs> I love that so much. Um, still playing on that $1.5 million deal, which is why they paid the price that they did in draft comp to acquire him in the first place, right? Because that was such a luxury for them. Has fit in so well on this team that they felt comfortable giving him a $52 million extension. And while that's quite pricey, I don't know, man, when you watch that series against the Leafs last year, there were stretches where I thought he was like the most impressive player on the ice in terms of his ability to just like create stuff from thin air with that pursuit of the puck and just like how aggressive he can be. Um, You know, it was interesting last year they used him quite a bit actually with Kucherov and point on the top line. And so his accounting stats exploded and maybe that did him a bit of a disservice yeah, with this next contract. I'm curious to see how they're going to roll it out, whether there's going to roll that top line with Stamkos up there, how incentivized they're going to be to push right out of the gate. Because while Jonas Johansson performed well in the preseason, I think the goalie battery they're entering the year with for the first couple months Whew. could be pretty dicey. Yep. Uh, Jonas Johansson, who was once described by a, a Sabres beat writer as the worst goalie he's ever seen. Um, <laughs> Which doesn't mean much, by the way. Yeah, it was a bleak time. It was a bleak. The, the pre-Devin the pre De- Levi uh, yeah. Sabres goalies. Yikes. Um, but I love Hagel's game. He's so malleable. Plays exactly the way I love. And so might not be under the radar anymore. Um, but just like 
the player that I really like to watch. The the amount of hockey people who I used to debate, they were like, "Well, he's not a, he's not worth two firsts." And well, people just don't understand like logistics in that regard. No, right? I know. It's I like, just love that. I love that there was a time that I was defending parting with draft picks. Well, that's a, that's a, that's <laughs> the thing. The conversation with, I have in this with, market. Okay, so last we did this last year as well. Unfortunately, I don't think Tanner Janot was the guy to do it with. Yeah, but. I, I'm totally okay like with Like, speaking it. of, like, philosophy. Yeah. I, like, the philosophy makes total sense of you should trade an entire draft class of draft picks for a player who makes that little that can contribute. Unfortunately, he was just complete dust for them last year. But, like, the logic behind it with all of these moves, with Coleman initially, I guess they did it with uh, Barkley Goudreau as well, with Hagel, like, that's what contenders should be doing every trade. 100%. Line. I mean, I still think about, like, Xavier Borgo yeah. with the in the Edmonton Oilers organization, and it's like that that pick should have been a guy. Yeah. You know, and, and not, and not like, I think Borgo's a totally interesting prospect. Instead, he's going to be like the sitcom character that always gets referenced, but never actually helps the Oilers totally. get he's, over the top. Yeah. He's Poochie. He's like, yeah. whenever, whenever the Oilers are playing, we should be wondering where Xavier Borgo is. Should this episode be titled Poochie and the Philosopher? <laughs> it could be. Um, okay, Tom. That's how you know we're off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> this is as good a time as any for us to take our break. We'll be back with more of our guys after you're listening to the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back here on the Hockey Cast. Thomas Drantz and I are doing our guys for 2023 players we just love more than other people do. Tom, who's next on your list? All right. I, I, I want to be clear. This is not me pandering to the Toronto audience, but mm. I'm going with Matthew Nyes. Mm. Now, it's tempting when a player like Matthew Nyes is discussed, especially in glowing terms like, I'm, flant- I'm planting my flag that I think this guy's really, really good. I-, I think it's easy to drop, and I'm sure we're going to hear it over the course of the season, but I think it's easy to drop like the completely unfair Mark Stone comp, and it's only because he's a super big-bodied guy who gets around the ice but like skates ugly mm. <laughs> and has incredible hand-eye and, and really great like on-stick timing. I'm not. I'm not putting that on knives but i think he's going to be really effective right away i thought i thought you saw it in the playoffs before he got hurt mm-hmm. and it's not for him you know everyone think i'm sure we'll think about like that spinorama spinorama tap goal that he scored in the first round but for me it's that you can already tell that the way he processes the game isn't just nhl level it's like really high end and and to combine what he's got the the, the ability to move around the size the puck skill and and the strength on his stick, um, with that sort of brain power, man, I think this guy's going to be an absolute player right off the hop. I agree with his submission on this list. I guess my question for you is, what do you think the best way to use him is with the other personnel they have? Like, what do you think the best spot in that lineup is for him? Yeah, I mean, I I think the there's a long history of tr- the Toronto Maple Leafs using sort of heavy press forward types to complement their skill guys. This guy's designed in a lab to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Don't hold him back. No third line. Just, like, throw him on a line with one of Matthews or Tavares and, and let him cook. Yeah. 
I had Willie Nylander on my list while we're on the Leafs, but uh, I'll, I'll save the time, the precious time we have here for like other players who are, are a bit more obscure. Yeah. But uh, just after the postseason he had and how ridiculously good he was and then how he just never gets the credit that he deserves for it. He's, um, all right. He, he feels, by the way, he feels like our generation's Alex Kovalev. Yeah. That's how that's how I think of Nylander at this point. Andrew Manjapani. Much like every other flame, his offense kind of cratered last year, right? Yep. He dropped from 35 goals the year previous to, nine, to 17. His shooting percentage was 9.5%, which isn't like that low, right? That's like a bit below league average, but not outrageous. But when you consider that his shooting percentage the three years before that was 16, 20, and 19, um, I think he had established like a much higher baseline than that, and I don't think he'll be that low again this year. He could. I know they love to use him as sort of one third of that worker B line with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman, right? Where they just like terrorize you defensively and are just so good at five on five. I think he could be a sneaky beneficiary of Tyler Toffoli's departure potentially. Like we've seen them experiment using him on line one, using him on the top unit power play. We only got to see because, you know, Daryl Sutter essentially phoned in last year. We like got to see very little of him with Jonathan Huberto, and I think that potentially makes sense as well because I thought Huberto was missing some of that like speed and ice stretching and puck retrieval element that he had previously had in Florida on that team last year. And so um, there's different ways to use them, but once again, similar to a lot of the players that I brought up so far, the motor, the effort, yeah, like the, how competitive he is. Like you just, you love it. And the 515 track record where every year he's been in the league, he's been an absolute ace in that regard. And so, I don't know. Andre, I think he could bounce back and easily get back agree, to that 30-goal mark and be an awesome sort of bounce back. He's just an absolute no question in my mind top-line player. Yeah. And, and I don't know that that would be, like, accepted without argument in a lot of hockey operations, board, boardrooms, or, you know, Calgary bars at the moment. But yeah. it's true. Yeah, undersized guy who works hard. That's always going to get a, a special place in my heart. Um, okay, who's next? I, I, are we dipping into the uh, into the Swedish league yet? No, no, no. no. But I, I, I mean, I might as well be. Um, so we talked a little bit about player types. One, one player type I always like is mobile enough, big, physical, hardworking defenseman. This mm-hmm. is my Will Borgen tier uh, of, of guy. And there's a, there's a few guys that I want to spotlight, and I know we're running low on time. So no, we I got figured, time. I'll go for it. So I want to talk about one guy who's, like, probably very much a depth player, but, like, I think can move up the lineup. I think could be a four in, in a lot of situations, certainly for the team I cover, and never gets any love. And so I want to, I want to quickly shout out John Merrill. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, mm. but John Merrill is good. And here's the guy I want to spend a little more time on. Montreal Canadiens defenseman, Jonathan Kovacevic. <laughs> you are not here for this. No, go for it. Give me give me give me the take. He's big. Yeah. He's right-handed. He's physical. He can legitimately play. Yeah. And I think he's like a low-end top four defenseman at least going forward here. I he hasn't had that chance to break out yet. He's going to in Montreal, right? You've got Savard, you've got Barron, right? So you've got a guy who's too old and a guy who's too young. This guy is going to be able to hold up in tough minutes, do enough transitionally, do enough to support the offensive attack, and like he's going to be regarded totally differently in twelve months in my in my view because he can do it. He mm. can legitimately play. He's legitimately the type of big bodied um, defensive defenseman you want, who I think can really support play. Yeah, 
I'll be. Wa- I, I think they're going to be horrid defensively, though. Oh, they are. But I'm, I'll I'll be watching. I'll keep a close eye yeah, on John and Coach Avery. He's going to be able to. He's going to be able to at least like, you know, poke one finger in the dam that's bursting. <laughs> mm. Okay. Well, let's stick with defensemen then. I'll give you one. Uh, you know, more highly rated and, and skilled. I didn't. I wasn't really going 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 as deep as you. I mean, I did have a big thing on on the Lamborghini Ryan Lomberg, who I think, oh, in my opinion, is like is like the, the platonic ideal of a fourth liner, yeah, right? Awesome. Um, and has just like every year increasingly won over my affection. But um, he's just fun too. He is. He's awesome. You can't you can't ignore like there's something about a fourth liner with like long hair yeah. that like floats behind him as he skates really fast hitting guys. That's just like he's fun. Yeah, but I'll go with Thomas Harley here. Oh, okay. So I, I, I deliberated between him and Wyatt Johnston as my star submission. Yeah. And I think we've spent enough time talking about Wyatt Johnston during last year's playoff run. Like, I think people get it. He's really good. He's got a really bright future. I think Harley is a such a key member for this Stars team, as we saw during last year's postseason, because the way their blue line's constructed, right? They're going to rely on Miro Haskinen and Ryan Suter so much to a fault, yeah. right? Like, it's just way too much on Haskinen's plate. He was just getting battered last year during that run, and Suter could not play those minutes at this point of his career. But after that, they simply cannot play that Hakampa-Lindell pairing together the way they did. Like Both guys just treat the puck like a grenade, and when they're on the ice, they're just going to get stuck in their own zone. And so that leaves Harley, because it's clear they're probably not going to trust Niels Lundqvist either. And so that leaves Harley as essentially having to anchor a second pair for them for them to play the way they want to play, right? Which is off the rush, getting it to their forwards in the middle of the ice and have them flying up up into the offensive zone. And then when they're in the offensive zone, shooting for those tips, right? right? They set up those like layered where it's like two or three guys that are all in a line with their sticks out just waiting to tip the puck. Like it's very by design. And Harley showed last year that he is very, very good at like specifically shooting for those sticks mm-hmm. and not just wasting and spamming a point shot. And so there's that. There's... Like Ryan Suter cannot play on the second unit power play and quarterback the way he did last year, and I think he's a key candidate for that. I just think the Stars are going to be good this year, but they should have higher aspirations. And I think Pete DeBoer desperately needs to treat this regular season as like a chance to experiment and let younger players play bigger roles because they like they can't treat the regular season as the playoffs as like okay we're only going to trust our veterans and then by the time we come to the playoffs well it's too late for us now to experiment like they need to give Harley and Lundquist and some of their young forwards opportunities to shine to see what they have before the trade deadline so they can act accordingly they also need to make sure that Jake Ottinger doesn't play more yeah. than 50 games well that's that that's as well like you need to like Hard play for the long game games. here yeah yeah if if you're the stars and Jake Ottinger starts his 51st game everyone should be called to a meeting to account honestly yeah you don't want to you don't want to get to the playoffs with that being or get to the western conference final and be like our biggest edge is in net and then he's playing his 90th game in your extremely sweltering hot barn and <laughs> getting outplayed by aiden hill yeah i thought long and hard about nick Hague. Mm-hmm. um and then i thought long and hard about nick wah the knicks yeah yeah uh, just because i know Haig broke out anyway in the playoffs last year but i do think there's another level i think this it was guy... amazing how much everyone that played them hated him it was awesome in like an endearing way right yeah, like there's should. obviously the max domi when he absolutely lost his mind and then he gives him the thumbs up on the way back to the bench <laughs> like like he's but the... that's good like because he's massive yeah He's good. He's skilled, but yeah. he's also like can move the puck. He's just giving you that smirk after. It's like 
All right, that's very annoying. People <laughs> still talk about him and White Cloud like they were the Vegas Golden Knights third pair. No. And it's, I mean, first of all, they were the, the hard minutes pair. Mm-hmm. They were the most important pair that they had five on five by a lot. And I think Hague's got another level he can get to. Like, I think Hague's uh, got a chance to be a, a real superstar. Nick Wah, obviously, it's just the man. Yeah. It's probably going to be buried too low in the lineup again this year. But, man, he's good. And anyway, I considered the Knicks. And then I uh, and then I settled on uh, Braden Pushal or Puhal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I'm I about. don't know. Give give me give me his give me his give me his background. Right handed transitional defender, really good skater. He's their seventh guy. They could not risk exposing him on waiver. It's going to be hard for him to get opportunity, mm-hmm. but there's a real player here. Oh my god, Tom. <laughs> okay. Was, I can't even pronounce his last was, name. Was that your next name on the list? Yeah. Okay. But I also wanted to take the opportunity to talk about the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that not, see now that 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 that's fair. Yeah. Um, can I interest you in a little Matias Michelli? Oh, always. So we did the watchability rankings. We expressed how high we are in the Coyotes. I had him really high on my Calder ballot, by the way. I felt like he got. You should have hit hit thirty eight assists in sixty four games as a rookie. Like that was elite. I, think I had him second. So and the and the Coyotes outscored opponents with him on the ice at five one five, yep. which was impressive for them last year. He's kind of a throwback player because now that. Henrik Sedin and Joe Thornton aren't in the league anymore. Not that I'm, it's like, I can't, ex- I can't, it's no, sacrilegious to compare him to yeah. that, but just in terms of how like desperately he doesn't want to shoot the puck. There were 402 forwards who played 500 minutes last year. Michelli was 399th mm-hmm. in shot rate. Like he averaged less than a shot per game. Like he just does not like want it. And that's because he knows us. what he's really good at. And that's like he's a wizard Spans as a passer, it. right? Like <laughs> yeah. he's he's waiting, he's holding, he's holding, waiting for that window to open up. He'll pass it to you. He's, I mean, if they play him and Cooley together, I might like bringing in Zucker might have blocked him a little bit on that wing. I think they're probably going to roll with Zucker and Cooley as a second line. But man, like just seeing those two guys play off of each other, that would be scintillating. And another reason why we're so high on like the watchability of how how fun this team's going to be. They're going to be super fun. He also played a huge role like they ran a lot through him on the power play so yep. that's another area where you know you throw Cooley into the mix with Keller uh, yeah that could be a lot of fun okay. really interesting who's next on your list I've got Seth Jarvis next nice Seth Jarvis is very much of a type yes with a lot of the players that we have on this mm-hmm. list dog on a bone uh, works exceptionally hard it's really hard to level up your offense in Carolina's we don't care about puck possession system but I think this guy's got a shot to do it because of the way that he retrieves pucks, the way that he can be a one-shot scorer, um, and then you know some of the playmaking. Although that that part of his game is going to, it's never going to shine. It's never going to shine in Carolina with the way they play. But I think he's got more east-west to him than we'll ever see. Doesn't matter. He can do the north-south thing. He can be effective with the north-south thing. And I think this kid's primed to break out. I agree. And that like the way they've constructed that top line with him. Aho and Bunting yeah. is is perfect. Sick. Like they're gonna be good. And you're right. I think in a different situation, if he was maybe given a bit more latitude to like do stuff that he can and stuff. probably wants to, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. that'd be fun. Instead yeah. of like, all right, get rid of the puck and then go chase after it. Uh that's obviously not best suited for his game, but that the, puck the, pursuit does work. The hurricanes and, care not for our aesthetic sensibilities. No, no, <laughs> but he'll be fun. Um yeah, I think last year he said uh, the key to his success was naps. So I thought that was very, very, very <laughs> relatable. He's a good kid, and and you know what? Like, there's there's some 
ratting him to. Mm-hmm. And I oh, that, that. I, I've seen that mustache. I know. I know. Yeah, I know. There's some rat. Um, okay. So my last player was Matias Michelli, who has never shot the puck. That was your last player? No, no. The, the oh, player that the I did most, did. most, okay, most, okay. most recently. I was like, oh, man. My next player, I can't think of a more polar opposite player. Okay. Adrian Kempe. Oh, yeah. Maybe the here for this. The rock star of the NHL. Playing in LA with that unironic goatee, the long flowing hair, and the fact that he just has a one track mind for skating as fast as he can and shooting the puck as hard as he can. <laughs> I don't care about the circumstance. He's gonna do it. <laughs> he's 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 heavy metal. Not the not the same potency, but it's like you know when you watch the Warriors play, and as soon as they get a rebound, you're like tracking to see when Steph Curry's gonna cross half court mm-hmm. because you know that he's within range to shoot. Or the offensive board, and you know that yeah. he's cutting to the you, corner. No, but I I just like view it because when they're going in that direction yeah. from defense to offense, you're almost tracking. It's like you reset your expectations for what's gonna happen, so you're just pushing it further and further back. Kempe obviously doesn't have the efficiency in that regard, but as soon as the Kings start crossing center ice, I'm like, if Kempe's on the ice, I'm expecting a shot here. <laughs> it's coming. We don't even have to wait for the offensive zone. Yeah. Let's just cross cross center ice, and then something's coming. Um, I don't. I, I just. I, I love. I love his game. I love. I'm okay with like passing up shots for better shots is obviously more optimal, but there's just something so satisfying about like how simple Kempe's game is in that regard. And he's scoring a ton of goals too, right? It's not just like he's just spamming low percentage shots. I believe he's like top 15 in goals the past two years. Um, But at the same time, he's like not in the top couple hundred in assists. It's, it's so perfect. He's such a throwback player. Does anyone go to the net harder? I'm sure some people do, but but, do but as, not not doesn't do look as, as cool. Yeah, it doesn't look as cool as <laughs> um, when he does it. Here's the other thing I, I hear about Kempe is, um, way more competitive. Oh yeah, than people realize. Like just like that guy might be on the short list of most competitive dudes in the league. Well, he was the player that the Oilers were most worried about last year, right? In that playoff series, right? And as and they been. and and yeah, because because of that everything we've said so far. Um, I, I I was tracking the chances in that series. I had it. I went back in my notes. The Kings had 95 scoring chances in six games in that series. He took 24 of them himself. <laughs> um, and I I like the way they've con- they've constructed it here, right? Where like he's a perfect running mate for Kopitar, who at this point of his career, especially just needs, only wants to pass and, and like and wants him to a, do the work. And he needs a caddy. Yeah. Neutral zone. And then they've got now potentially like Dubois with Fiala, and That's then and then Dano with Arvidsson, right? It's like yeah. a very like like playmaking center with a guy who's going to fly up the ice and shoot a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really like the way they balance that out, and I think Kempe is awesome. So. Yeah, I think that team is going to be really good. Um, sticking in the Pacific Division, my next guy, Ely Tolvanen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ely Tolvanen. How many teams passed up in the 23? Well, Something like that? Lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Um, Ely Tolvanen, obviously we all know about the shot, mm-hmm. and there's a swagger to his shot, too, that I think is important. Like, I was watching a preseason game out in Abbotsford, and there was a puck that hit the goaltender and, and sort of parabola. Like, it wasn't a normal rebound. It was, like, a big looping, and he and it was sort of coming to him, and he timed it, and he one touch smacked it, and it was, like, a no-doubter. Like, he stepped into and one-touched a parabola-ing puck, and, like, there was no human being on earth playing goal who ever could have had a chance like yeah. it was the most decisive no doubter 
I've ever seen, and it was a really difficult shot, and he did it, and he didn't celebrate. And I was just like, that's ice cold, man. Yeah. That's ice cold. Now, I've been a fan for a bit, but in Seattle, that team, they all play the exact same way. Tolvanen is made for that system. There's a couple of things that they do in particular that accentuate what he does well. One is you have to defend well, and Tolvanen's not just a, a one-shot scorer. He actually is a pretty hard-working mm-hmm. defensive player with really good instincts away from the puck. I don't think he's got great on-puck instincts as a playmaker, but he can see the game really well in terms of where he should be to disrupt what opponents are trying to do without the puck. And uh, in Seattle, they give Schultz and Dunn, um, and hopefully eventually Riker Evans, the green light to, like, forecheck. Yep. You'll have a defender that plays like a rover in, in the offensive end. When that happens, a winger has to come back and cover. He's got the defensive instincts to do that expertly, and then he's got the one shot like to shoot from distance and punish opponents for it between him Bjorkstrand Burakovsky you've got like a guy a guy who's going to be on almost every line who perfectly fits the template McCann would be yep. another of, of of that sort of system that sort of type of rotation I just think he's going to have a breakout year well and that decisiveness sick. as a shooter is key as we've outlined for them because off the forecheck and off those turnovers they like that's what they do that's how they feast and they're going to need that level of shooting talent yeah, to fight off some of the regression yep. that's coming this year as well from the percentages. So uh, I like that pick quite a bit and certainly not a player that they should have just gotten for free um, the way that they did. I spent a little too much time there considering where we're at in the podcast. No, no, I think it's, it's fine. I, I love it. I mean, I'm coming. I'm I'm almost on my list here, so I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm happy with where we're at. All right, let me give you a little uh, Keandre Miller. Yeah, I'm here for this. So entering year four, I thought it was a massive mistake. I understood they didn't really have a lot of leeway financially, but I would have prioritized going long going long yep. to get him at a cheaper figure than what he's going to come in at two years from now, which will almost, which will certainly be much more than double what he's making right now on this short-term bridge. I just think he's already shown, right? He's 23 years old. He's already shown the ability to gobble up heavy minutes. They've used him a ton at 5-on-5 five five over the past couple of years. And I just think such a unique player, right? Because he he does like hockey's equivalent of the chase down block where he can get caught deep in the offensive zone or the team has a guy leaking out and it looks like he's almost going to have an uncontested breakaway. And because of his closing speed and his ability to just cover as much ground as he does with his reach, he tracks that player down and disrupts it and knocks a puck away from him. And it's one of the coolest defensive plays that we have going in today's game. We've also seen, like last year, when he scores, they're the coolest end-to-end rushes that he does by himself. And I understand it's not realistic to expect that time and time again, but I do have hope that as he gets into his mid-20s here, gets a bit more comfortable the position and the league, and with a new coach who everything we're hearing out of Rangers camp is they're going to like give their defensemen more ability to activate and be involved off the rush, which they didn't really do much of last year. They played a very... Under Jurgen, they played a very <clears throat> vanilla system offensively, right? It was very like ABC, and this will hopefully give guys like Keandre Miller and Pierre Laviolette more room to experiment. And if that happens, I think there's much more offensive upside here with the type of unique defensive skills that we just don't really see much of in the league. I mean, I'm here for this. I also would love to see him get a look on the power play. It's never going to happen while Adam Fox is his No, but power play too. I mean, he didn't play yeah. at all last year. Like He looked good there on the pre- in the preseason. Like when, when I watched some Rangers preseason games, I was really impressed with how he looked. He had the same number of 5-on-5 points last year as Roman Yossi, Quinn Hughes, and Alex Petrangelo. Yeah. 
but yeah, he just there's, never there's got to play the power play, right? Like it's. I also wonder why do you think the Rangers never play him with Fox? I just think they'll. I think they like. I don't know. It doesn't I just, make I, sense. Yeah. I, like at some point, when you want to see if you're too. Well, that's like, a that's the thing. Horses can just destroy Tufts. Truba's so off the glass and out, and it's almost like it's carried over to Keandre when he's out there, where I think he has so much more in his tool bag to do, yeah. but he just resorts to the simple play sometimes, and part of that might have also just been coaching as well. And so if they just give him more opportunity to play with the puck, I like he's clearly got the skills. Like This isn't like, all right, we're going to ask this player to do something beyond his means. I just I want them to tap into him more. So Yeah, I'm here for that. Okay. Give me one more. We we gotta we gotta wrap up here. So, oh, man, it's gonna be hard to. Pick. We can do some honorable mentions at the end, like to like plant the plant the seeds, and we can revisit them later in the year. But I'd like to. So, more than a more than an honorable mention, I just want to mention this guy fast, and then I'll move on to my actual one. But I, I think Luke Evangelista is a guy to watch for in Nashville. All right, uh, this season, I'll give you a little Yuso Parson in. Nice. Yeah. You so Parson. Oh, I love a, a, a big guy with, with hands like yeah. that. I mean, there's they, he scored the through-the-legs goal last year against the Wild and then gave us a little shrug after. I, I'm serious. Luke Evangelis, the dark horse Calder buzz. Just, like, watch for that. I'm not I'm not even kidding. I think he's going to be that good. Rasmus Kupari is my pick, though. Yep. Okay, so Rasmus Kupari went from the Kings to the Jets. Kupari is – he's got a game that I think is going to lend itself really well to controlling play, but the – spectacular underlying numbers haven't been there yet mm-hmm. they will be yeah they will be this is a guy who i think profiles to be potentially a you know backland or grabowski style play driver super smart super quick super slick in the middle of the ice just an expert at connecting play I, you know I, I don't know that he's ever going to be an offensive superstar but man he is he is massively underrated and for me by far the best asset that the jets got back for like i know gabe velarde is like a very popular analytics pick but i think kapari's got a way higher ceiling and no he doesn't have a higher ceiling i think think he does i don't know i think velarde's got legitimate like 40 goal chops if he can stay healthy yeah yeah he's just got shooting talent that kapari just doesn't he does have right and that gets you paid in this league but but i think the two-way talent of Kupari is yeah well especially for how little he's making yeah like he's so cost controlled that it's it's one though too where like Velarde's numbers are through the roof from an underlying perspective but if you watch these guys play like I'm telling you but I'm so confident that Kupari is the superior two-way guy okay yeah (laughs) do you you disagree with that I'm sure you do no I mean I like Kupari a lot so I don't want to still become a me not liking (laughs) Kupari thing so I'm 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 biting my tongue um okay Tom let's get out of here we 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 got to a lot of guys so, we didn't do, I'm surprised we didn't shout out Dersey, though. Got Dersey. I got Brock Faber on my list. Sonny Milano. Um, Ryan McLeod. I got I got a lot of Sonny names. Sonny Milano's a good I one. Names, I got but... Faravari. Yeah. I got John Ludwig. <laughs> I've got Alexei Torpchenko. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, but Dersey was an important one. And then two guys to watch who didn't even make their teams. Olin Zellweger. Oh, yeah. Down in San Diego. Yeah. And uh, Nick Blankenberg. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you talked about them. Those guys will be sick when they come up. Okay, let the listeners know where they can check you out. Check me out at Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650 and at The Athletic. Awesome, man. Looking forward to having you on again, as always. Thank you to the listeners. just want to say, my number one guy, though, it's, it's you. I just want you to know. You as well, man. Feelings <laughs> mutual. Thank you to the listeners for listening to the Hockey PDO cast. As always, we'll be back with plenty more here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.